Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Paula. Hey, Dean. How are you? I'm doing great. How are things going today? Well, they were going great. Until? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why they were going great. Yesterday, I got the strategy game. Because it was your birthday. It was. Happy birthday. Thank you. I have caught up with you in years today. Mm -hmm. I think we mentioned last time we're 10 days apart in age. So (laughs) So anyway, for my birthday, I got this scaled-back version of a game called Catan. C-A-T-A-N. The board game we've played with some friends before, and it's a pretty detailed and strategic game, but this dice game is... A lot of instructions. Yes, this dice game is much easier, so it's almost like Catan Yahtzee. I was excited to win, so then we decided to play our go-to game, a game we play at least 30 minutes almost every day. It's good quality time. Skip Bow. It, it has no strategy. It is a mindless game. Come on. There's a little bit of strategy. Well, maybe that's why you won today. Maybe, maybe I'm just counting to 12 and you're stra- strategian. But I'd still say <laughs> we split 50-50. You like how I use that George W. word, strategery? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even catch it. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Congratulations on, on your win today. Well, thank you. Skip Bow. I was coming back. He had one card left, and I had about ten. He just beat me by one card. If only you had one more card, I think I'd had you. Maybe. That's <laughs> how you play the game. Could be. Anyway, what are we talking about today? So, this past weekend, we traveled to and from Mississippi. Let's talk about the race. All right. Why'd we do this race? If you remember, back in September... We went up to Grand Rapids, Michigan to do the last chance to BQ marathon as our virtual Boston marathon. That was in September, and we ran together, and that was a lot of fun. I think this is the first time that we've ever ran a full marathon together. Now, we did run a marathon and do a lot of walking, which I think we've talked about before with the Indianapolis Monumental. But this time, we actually ran the whole thing, and you got a good time a good Boston qualifying time, so you feel pretty comfortable if and when Boston opens up again. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that race. I I worked, which we've talked about before, since 2013 to get a Boston qualifying time, and I finally did in 2018. And by the end of that race, I was spent. It was a very hard race. But then here a couple years later, we hadn't trained up too hard because Boston became virtual. We were training, but not nearly as intensely, I guess we'd say. And anyway, wound up with a BQ, and I don't feel like I ever dug myself into a hole that day. We had conversation and enjoyed it. It was a fun race, and I felt good about where I am fitness-wise. But put the pressure on you. Yeah, I had to get a Boston qualifying time as well just to 
keep pace with my wonderful wife. But I was surprised by the course at Grand Rapids. I expected, since it's geared towards Boston qualifying, that it would be flat and fast. But it was, what, six laps, eight laps? And there were a couple of hills on every lap. But they weren't so difficult that they really drained you. And maybe on the first few laps, it was a nice little break from the flat surface. But there by the end, those hills started wearing on us. You know, it's funny. The gradual uphills didn't bother me. But there was just one small section of it, less than a tenth of a mile, that was a fairly decent descent. And that, by lap four and five, I was feeling that on my quad. So, yeah, it was a it was a hilly course. But all in all, it was a good day, and I was glad we did it. I thought they did a great job with um, the start, keeping people separated. Yeah. And how many minutes did you surpass your BQ time by? It's right around eight-minute cushion. Yeah, you should be golden. Hopefully. So when we got back from Grand Rapids... I had the bug. I wanted to run a marathon because it's the first time I'd ever run a full marathon without really pushing all out. So it was it was just a pleasure running with you. And then I wasn't sore. And I was really just anxious to see where my fitness was at. So we started looking for races. And I think you found the Gulf Coast Marathon down in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I started looking at it. And I don't know, there was something about the website that just made me think that this was going to be a good race to participate in. And as a bonus, they said if the event was canceled for COVID, they would refund the entry fee. So a lot of risk on their part. And so I signed up. And you were thinking about signing up. I trained for it. So what happened? They sold out before before I got around to registering. And what were you waiting on to <laughs> register? I was honestly going to register the day before depending on the wind direction. It was a point-to-point race that started in the west and ran east. So I thought if there was going to be a wind out of the west, a nice tailwind, I know, it was bad. I should have just signed up. (laughs) But you already had a Boston qualifying time, so you didn't need a race, but it would have been nice if there was a tailwind. But as it turned out, even though it was sold out, On race day, it was not a tailwind. It was a slight headwind. But before we really get into all of that, I wanted to talk about my race plan and then execution of that plan and then a little bit about the race itself. We encourage our athletes to fill out a race template so that they cover all the bases on what they're going to eat before the race, during the race, uh, the schedule of the event, transportation, packing, all the details. So I had filled that out, read over it a dozen times, uh, practiced my nutrition, practiced eating what I thought would be best for me on some of my training runs, and felt really good about the race plan. And you got on the website and did some research. What was the kind of gels they were going to have at the aid stations? Yes, they advertised the Honey Stinger Gels and Powerade. So he ordered the gels and practiced specifically with those just to make sure that his digestive system would work well with that brand. Yeah, and my stomach is very tolerable 
much more so than some people's, but I wanted to play it safe. And yes, I tested out Powerade, tested out a variety of flavors of the honey stinger gels, and, and everything seemed to work fine in training. So we decided to drive to Biloxi, which is about a nine to 10 hour drive. And I don't know that we've ever been to that area of the country, but from where we live, it was 90% down Interstate 65, basically from Interstate 65 from Nashville all the way to Mobile, Alabama, and then just a little bit further to get to Biloxi. So starting off with race weekend, we left on a Friday and the race is on a Sunday. I didn't let it get me upset, but just immediately I was off my race plan from my meal strategy. I had planned on having sweet potatoes and grilled chicken and rice, but we were in a car and really didn't want to spend a lot of time at a restaurant. So we had packed some sweet potatoes and potatoes and rice that were already cooked. So (laughs) I'm eating cold potatoes and sweet potatoes and rice in the passenger seat while our our daughter Bethany is driving and, and you're in the back. And it was okay. I feel like I got some good nutrients, but it wasn't the most tasting. But food is not about entertainment. It's about putting into your body what it needs to do what it needs to do. And I had an almond butter sandwich. That was my, my protein. And then same thing with the next day. We were driving. We were finishing up the drive to Biloxi. We split it over two days. And so again, on Saturday afternoon, I was intending on having sweet potato and rice and salmon, but we were driving. So sweet potato, potato. We had, we had quinoa. It wasn't rice. It was quinoa and an almond butter sandwich. <laughs> but it was good. I had good quality, you know, nutritious food. wasn't what I had on my plan, but you make your plan and then you just kind of roll with what comes and make adjustments along the way. I'm going to say you must have been well hydrated. <laughs> I think we've talked about in previous podcasts how I drink four liters of water a day, which is a lot, and I'm not recommending this for everybody. I think it depends on your size, your height and weight. I mean, you certainly want to have a lot of food that goes along with it because you can overdo it on water if you're not taking in other nutrients. But my strategy over the last few years has been to switch from water to a sports drink, and my drink of choice is Gatorade. So instead of four liters of water, I drink four liters of Gatorade, and it made for a lot of stops along the road to get out and stretch the legs. If you need to know between Bowling Green and Biloxi, which I-65 rest stops are clean and worth stopping, we can let you know. (laughs) We hit them all. Yes, we did. Yes, and some are better than others. So we made it down to Biloxi, and we immediately went to packet pickup, because now it's the day before the race, and it's in the early afternoon. Really needed to stay focused and get all the things done so that we could have a reasonably early supper, get organized for race morning, get to bed at a reasonable time. So we went to the packet pickup, which was at a restaurant called Sal and Mookie's, I believe I said that right. Sal and Mookie's a pizza joint. And then we headed to the condo and unpacked 
all the things. We had packed a couple of coolers worth of food so that I wouldn't have to worry about finding restaurants along the way. And then you had done an amazing job cooking for my birthday. And we had leftovers, and I love leftovers. I think I've said that before. So we had a lot of food to put away. Then I went for a jog along the beach. Beach Boulevard is the road that the race is on, and our condo was just a block off of it. It was just a really nice place to run. I noticed immediately there was a slight headwind out of the east, and you went for a long run. How was your long run on that Saturday afternoon? It was fine when I was running. I ran to the east first and felt like it was a headwind, but then when I turned around to come back, the wind almost felt equal, so I'm wondering now if it weren't more of a north wind. I don't know, but needless to say, it was pretty windy the day before the race. It was very windy the day after the race on that run. So for supper the night before the race, I just really didn't feel like going to a restaurant, and we had a lot of food. I bet you can guess what I had for supper. I had sweet potato and potato and quinoa and an almond butter sandwich. <laughs> um, noticing a pattern here. That was really good. And I went ahead and fixed everything I was going to need for breakfast for race morning. I had my bib attached to my jersey, and we got to bed at a reasonable time. Before some races, it's really hard to sleep. <laughs> I didn't have too much of a trouble sleeping this time, other than the fact that <laughs> at our condo, this was our first night in this unit, it was like <laughs> a spotlight outside of our bedroom window. Okay, but that's not the worst part of it. What is the worst part? The worst part of it is that, <laughs> that mattress. Every, <laughs> every time you moved, I thought I was going to bounce out of bed. <laughs> we think it was a memory foam mattress. That lost its memory. But it seemed to have a big dip in the center (laughs) i would feel like i was rolling towards you and i roll around a lot when i sleep and every once in a while the bed would just make a popping noise as i rolled around i seriously felt like i was on some sort of disney ride (laughs) (laughs) so you didn't sleep well oh no but i wasn't racing so i just tried to stay quiet and let you sleep i slept pretty good but i had in my race plan I had planned on waking up at 3 a.m. and eating breakfast. And so for breakfast, I had my uh, personal recipe of oatmeal. Oh, my goodness. Which I won't go into any detail. An almond butter sandwich, a banana, a bottle of Gatorade, a bottle of beetroot juice. And I normally have chocolate almond milk with my beetroot juice, but this time I didn't have that. So I just mixed it with water. It's a little bit better with the chocolate almond milk. A little bit better. A little better. And my vitamins. And then I laid back down for about 30 or 40 minutes, try to get a little bit more sleep. I don't know that I slept, but I rested well. So then we got up. We had plans to head to the start of the race at 5 for a 7 o'clock start. We realized that we were, according to Google, about 30 minutes away. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking... What if there's a lot of traffic at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, on a Sunday morning? I'm just going to say... On a four-lane highway. I'm just going to say, I've learned a long time ago not to open a debate with you on when we're leaving the hotel on race morning. Yeah. Well, taking a tangent, when you did your first half marathon and Bethany did her first 
marathon. This was in Evansville, Indiana. And I don't know what happened, but we ended up stuck in traffic going to the race. People trying to get into the fairgrounds where the race started. And I think you all finally just jumped out of the car and ran to the starting line. We did. We crossed lanes of traffic on a four-lane highway to get to the starting line. And I think we were still a little bit late. And Bethany wasn't able to connect with the person she wanted to run with. So it threw her whole race off from the beginning. So lesson learned. It's better to get to the race, start early than late. So we got there early. Maybe one day we can find a happy medium. (laughs) So again, the race starts at 7. And we show up, pitch black, darkness, no other cars around that we saw. And we're an hour and a half early. I'm pretty sure the race director was still in bed at this point. (laughs) So we just kind of camped out in the truck near where the the drop-off area was at. And just relaxed for about 30 minutes till 6 o'clock. Still plenty of time, but I I wanted to get out and get uh, acclimated to the environment and go through the porta potty line a few times. Make sure everything's ready for the start of the race. So I I get out at 6 o'clock, walk around, and the race start was, was well organized. Lots of lights, still dark outside. Lots of porta potties. One of the nice things about this race was the start was right against the ocean. And in Biloxi, well, I guess the whole Gulf Coast area there, there's a concrete ledge of stairs separating the roadway and the sand. So that made for a great place to sit and still remain socially distant waiting for the start. So I was able to relax a little bit after taking care of business and so at 6.30, I took my first gel of the morning, and I drank water with that to wash it down and, and help it, help my stomach process it. And then I looked for a place to do my dynamic warm-up exercises. I've got a, a routine that's been working well for me pre-run. Some of it I do sitting on the ground, and I did that at the condo. But the standing up portions, the more dynamic portions, I waited till closer to the start. I was standing next to a school bus that they were using school buses to bring a lot of the athletes from the finish area to the starting area. And I was standing there, and as I was swinging my legs, I noticed a friend of mine, Brandon, and I yelled his name and asked him to come over. I had put in my race plan, and I had told him that if it worked out, I'd like to pray with him before the race. And when I yelled his name, he came over and I didn't want to take too much of his time because I didn't know how much more pre-race activities he had to take care of. But I I was getting close to being done. But anyway, we prayed together, you know, really just set the stage for the morning. Then after doing the dynamic warm-up exercises, I went for a little bit of a jog. It was about three quarters of a mile. Just wanted to be sure I was ready to go. And I'm still wearing my mask. Everybody was wearing masks in the starting area. The way they had the starting area laid out was they had three corrals. There was no ropes or anything. It just had banners indicating what the corrals were. And then they had these little discs like you might see at a soccer practice that kids would practice 
weaving around, kicking the ball, but they had maybe a hundred or more of these little discs, and they asked for the race participants to stand next to a disc in the corral, and that ensured six feet separation in all directions. And I was in wave four, so I didn't start in a corral, but once seven o'clock rolled around and wave one took off and wave two moved from corral B to corral A and took off, then I started moving up into the corrals. And it was pretty quick. It only took maybe two and a half minutes to go from the first athletes taking off until I crossed the starting line. So it was moving quickly. And just to put it in context, I think I read that 750 athletes had registered and 640 finished. I don't know what size they typically have. I don't know if that was a smaller field due to the social distancing limitations or if that's a typical Gulf Coast I'm not sure either. Marathon size. I emailed back and forth with the race director or whoever was handling the support email. Just asked a lot of questions about the race because I wanted to make sure I knew what was going on and wanted to be well prepared. And I'd also asked if there was any way they could make room for just one more person in the marathon. And they said, well, we're really, they said, we already have more people signed up than we really need, and we're thinking a few people just won't show up. So they said, no, we're not taking any more registration. So I make it to the starting line and take off, still wearing my mask. Somebody at the starting area said that you may want to hang on to your mask because you're going to need it at the finish line. So I had planned on throwing away my disposable mask, but there was no indication that there was an area designated to throw your mask away. So I tucked it into my shorts and and took off. That first mile was pretty easy, not putting a whole lot of effort into it, but I did notice a slight headwind and I expected it after doing the warm-up. And my strategy and my race plan had been all along to run seven minutes and 15 seconds per mile, assuming there was no wind. And if there was a tailwind, I was gonna go five seconds faster, seven, 10. If there was a headwind, I was going to go five seconds slower, which would be 720 pace. But in the heat of the moment, with all the excitement, I decided I'm going to try to hang on to 715 as long as I can. By mile 30, I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure how long I can hold this. (laughs) And going into this race, this is a race I really just wanted to gauge my fitness. I really wasn't wanting to dig real deep because I wanted to bounce back from this marathon and continue training, working towards a more longer-term goal. So this was a stepping stone, but again, in the heat of the moment, pushing myself a little bit harder than I had intended. As the miles went on, I just kept looking at my watch and hanging on and, and praying. So my strategy for gels was to really take nothing but water after the start of the race until 30 minutes in, and then I was gonna take a gel I was carrying two honey stingers and I was expecting based on the race program for them to be giving out gels every third aid station. But at every aid station I was looking and I didn't see any gels. So I took my first gel at the 30 minute mark or thereabout. I always timed the gel to be when an aid station was in sight so I could wash it down with water shortly after taking it. So then around mile six or so, 
I get the impression that there are not going to be any gels on the course. And I've got one more in my pocket. So I see you and Bethany several times on the course. I decided I need to ask you to go get some gels. So you didn't take a gel at 30 minutes? I did take a gel at 30 minutes. And then you still had another one? Yes. I, I had packed three race morning. I took one 30 minutes before, one 30 minutes into the race, and I was going to take the third one at the hour mark. So before the hour mark, I asked you all to go to the condo and get my stash of honey stinger gels that I had left over from practicing. So I'll interject here from a spectator point of view. The course was laid out on a four-lane divided highway. Two lanes were eastbound, and one of those lanes was blocked off for the runners. And then the westbound lanes were clear because there were no runners on that side of the road. So Bethany and I were able to see him a ton. We would go past him, actually driving past him in the lane beside where he was running, and we would get down the road far enough to where we could get out, cheer him. And so at this point, which you're saying this was probably around mile six. About six, yeah. He asked us to go get his gel. So our plan of seeing him a whole bunch suddenly was altered because we were at mile six. Our condominium was at mile 18. So we had to get in the car and drive to mile 18. And then I think by the time we got back to you, we were probably close to mile 14 or 15. Yeah. So you made it on two gels until mile 15. Something ish, like that. Ish. I do not remember the distance, but I do remember only being 20 minutes late for that third gel during the race. So I felt bad, though, because I saw your gels on the counter that morning, and I almost asked you if you wanted me to pack those just in case, and I did not ask you that because I didn't want to get in your head. That's okay. Lesson learned. <laughs> Yeah, I should have thought to at least put them in the vehicle as well. So I had intended on taking a gel at 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, etc., every 30 minutes. But that third gel I didn't get until an hour and 50 minutes. I was doing the math. I was just, I was just doing this. He's looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm adding up the minutes. She's uh, counting fingers and <laughs> toes. So, yes, it, Third gel was at an hour and 50 minutes, so I'm only 20 minutes late. After taking a gel and getting some quick water, all the other aid stations before the next gel, I would take Powerade. And coming from Kentucky, where I've been running in 30 degrees, 40 degrees, sometimes high 20 degrees, now at the Gulf Coast, running in temperatures in the 50s or 60s, although it didn't feel hot, it was hotter than I was used to. So at every aid station, from the very first to the very last, I was getting at least one cup of water to dump on my head to stay cool because I did not want heat to be a factor in in uh, slowing down my performance. Yeah, at race start, it was 57 degrees, and I think by the time you finished, it was 68 degrees. So that's substantially warmer than how you'd train. I know you did do some quote-unquote heat training you bundled up way more than you normally would yes and on one training run i was doing a 20 mile run and i was just anticipating 
how hot it could be at the Gulf Coast. I had pants on. I had and tight Under Armour turtleneck. <laughs> I'm super glad you had pants on. I had a hoodie. <laughs> I had a sock cap. I had gloves. I had everything. And this was a reasonably warm day in maybe late October. And I just melted. And that I really struggled on that 20-mile run. So you can't overdo it with heat training. But on that day, I was doing loops so I could stay hydrated. About halfway through, I realized I needed to shed some clothes. And I think I could have wrung water out of that hoodie I was wearing. But my good buddy, Steve Anderson, he ran with me half of the way. And then he stayed around and cheered me on and followed in his vehicle and took a few pictures. Just made sure I I finished safely. So, Steve, if you're listening to this, thanks for being there for me, buddy. So back to the race. Uh, Every aid station, I was putting water on my head to stay cool. So now I have a couple more gels, and we're around mile 15 or 16, and and I'm somewhat surprised, but I'm encouraged that I'm still on my 7.15 pace in training. The longest distance I had done at marathon pace was 11 miles in a 14-mile run, and it was easy. So I, I had a lot of confidence going into the race. And then as the miles kept ticking off, as I got close to mile 20, I noticed that my average pace had slipped to 7.16. And I've been in a lot of discomfort for you know, an hour, hour and a half, going on two hours. And I'm praying and just saying into my head, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. When he saw us at around mile 20, he's like, he rolled his eyes a little bit and said, Oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> and usually he's just cruising along like like the run isn't affecting him. But he was visibly a little bit worried, I think. So a lot of people say I make running look easy, even though I'm, I'm really struggling. <laughs> How do I look at the point around mile 20? You still look, you had your perfect form and everything. Your Your face had a little bit of distress in it, but you're form and function looked fine. So I'm struggling, trying not to lose any more time, and I'm praying. And I remember just a thought came to me that there are bigger prayers and other people who need answers in their lives more important than me finishing this race or not losing more time or or, or making up that one second per mile. So I, I was praying for family members, I was praying for people at church, and I know there are two people at church who are battling cancer, and there's one person who needs a liver transplant. There's another person who's struggling with Alzheimer's. So there are a lot bigger prayer needs than me getting to the finish line, but as I was praying, just thinking about other people just made the my effort seem a lot easier. And as I got close to mile 22, I glanced back down at my watch and I'd gained a second. So I was back on pace at 7.15. So I was encouraged. So around mile 22, I'm pretty sure I can see the finish way off in the distance. So like you said, Paula, this is a point-to-point race. It's on Beach Boulevard, US 90, straight shot. So you can see for miles and miles and miles. And I could see for miles and miles and that hotel where the race was going to finish was a long way off, but getting closer by the step. So we ended up going past a gift shop 
in the Biloxi area called Sharkheads that has this massive shark head outside. I guess it's a uh, tourist attraction. I know after the race, we went and got our picture taken with the shark head. So from mile 22 to mile 24, I was just doing the best I could. Into this headwind, I'd found that leaning slightly forward, I really focused on my arms, keeping the forearms low, pumping those arms to help the legs. And also, I found that running on the white stripe on the edge of the road seemed like it added just a little bit of cushion. So that was more pleasant than being on the blacktop. But even though it was a point-to-point race, it was a straight shot, there were a few little curves along the way. And I was very intentional to try to hit the tangents to minimize the total distance. So as I got to mile 24, I had learned by watching a YouTube video where somebody had filmed the course that there was a significant hill around mile 24. Now who creates a race that puts up a hill at mile 24? I'll have to say the Chicago Marathon put a hill at mile 26. (laughs) The one time that I did Chicago, I had no idea. I didn't do as much race planning as I do now. I had no idea you make a right-hand turn and you go up a hill after mile 26, and then you have a, a downhill shot to the finish. But this hill at mile 24 was a long, somewhat gentle, curved hill. But what really was difficult for me was the slant of the road. So I'm trying to take the tangent on this long, swooping curve. And on my wobbly legs, I'm having a hard time on this slant, not bumping into the concrete wall on the edge of the road. And it seemed like the hill was never going to end. But I finally make it to the top of the hill, around the curve, and off in the distance I see the U-turn sign. Now this race had a full marathon and a half marathon. And for whatever reason, they did not start the half marathon at the halfway point of the marathon. I'd like to know why. I'm sure there's a reason. So I see a U-turn sign off in the not too far distant, and I'm real excited. I'm thinking, get around that turn, downhill, a couple turns, and I'm in the finish. As I get to this U-turn, it's for the half marathoners. I look off farther in the distance, and I see another U-turn sign maybe half a mile away. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. There was a slight downhill towards the U-turn sign. As I was approaching the U-turn sign, I noticed a runner coming up behind me on my left. And for the whole race, I was by myself. Either somebody was passing me or I was passing somebody. So in a lot of races, I really enjoy connecting with one or more people. And you know, early, while there's a lot of energy, having a, a brief conversation, finding out the name, where they're from, etc., There was none of that in this race, but somebody's coming up behind me on my left and we're making a left-hand U-turn. I didn't want to cut this person off and my legs are really weak, so I wasn't sure I could take a a really hard U-turn. So I make the U-turn wide and this person comes up from behind and, and is about to pass me and I realize it's a man. And so I get this surge of energy and I speed up and get right up against this person right on their right shoulder and I match his pace. And I don't know how fast we're going at this point, but it was definitely an increase. I had this surge of energy. I felt good. And I say something like, help me, Jesus, or thank you, Jesus. And then I say something to this man, help me get to the finish line. 
And he said to me, you're the one helping me get to the finish line. <laughs> so anyway, I think we helped each other. We had a real steep downhill together. I just felt like we were flying. And I was also cautious because I didn't want to stumble and fall going down this hill. Then there was three hard left turns before we got to the finish. And the finish was in MGM Park, which is a, a baseball stadium. And I'm just doing all I can do to get to the finish. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I've really sped up. Maybe 7.15 is still possible. Maybe it's still possible. So I finally make it to the finish line and finished in 3.10.50. So my goal at 7.15 pace would have been 3.09.57. I was ecstatic. Given how I felt with a little bit of a headwind, I was really pleased and I learned afterwards that I ran right past you and Bethany. I mean, right at us. Bethany and I, you were talking about the sharp left turns, the 90 degree turns. Bethany and I were at the second to last one. And I mean, you were running right at us, looking into the camera. And we're yelling and all excited, just assuming you heard us and saw us. (laughs) There's something about race finishes. This is not the first time that... I have been oblivious to anybody around me, and my focus has been on getting to the finish line. After the race, pretty pleased. I found my my buddy Brandon, talked to him for a few minutes, and then we made our way back to the condo. I want to go back a minute to where you were talking about at mile 20, where you took the focus off of yourself and started focusing on others, and it just... And praying for others, and it just lifted your spirits and made you feel better. I ran a race in Evansville, a 5K, with a friend of mine who wanted to to get a PR. So my entire focus, that entire race, was on her and encouraging her. And at the end of the race, she had met her goal, and I never even felt like I ran a race because my focus was so much off myself and I thought about it then and I was reminded now when you were just sharing that as part of your story I think that applies in life as well if our focus is on ourself and everything that may or may not be going just like we need it to then I think our attitude can be poor but if we think about others and focus on others and stay prayerful toward others I just think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I agree with you. So later in the day, you let me pick the restaurant and I picked Outback Steakhouse. I've been avoiding beef and cheese and and junk food, but I asked my coach, I said, coach, (laughs) what do you think I ought to eat? What'd you say? I said, iron. A steak sounded really good. I ordered a 15 ounce ribeye and that thing was massive. But I had no trouble at all eating that whole thing. I can't believe he ate the whole whole thing. (laughs) And it was so good. (laughs) Shout out to Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) I guess as we wrap this up, I I had a few lessons learned that I've I've documented in my post-race summary that I want to share. So we talked about the race being out of jails. And before I get into the lesson learned, I, I reached out to the race organizers again after the race, just asking what happened with the jails. And they said that there were shipping delays. They expected them to arrive on December the 7th. 
The race was on December 13th. They did not arrive until December the 15th. So that's understandable. There have been a lot of shipping delays for one reason or another. But I asked them, I said, well, why didn't you communicate that somehow? And the response was, we were hoping they would have come in Saturday night the 12th, but they didn't. So hopefully others were able to find a nutrition along the course. Your race day would have been completely different if Bethany and I hadn't been there and had access to transportation to get you the gels you needed. Yeah, yeah, there's outside of a miracle, I would not have been able to maintain that pace. Probably would have hit the wall, may have ended up walking. It just could have been totally different. Thank you all for being there. Wouldn't miss it. So lesson learned number one is have a backup plan for fueling. Hopefully racists will be able to provide what they say they're going to provide, but it's so important that try to have a backup plan if you can. Uh, lesson number two, praying for others lifted my spirits, and I'm going to try to do that more often when I'm working really hard, whether it's in training or racing. Then pouring water on my head, I th- really feel like that helped me stay cool. And even though it wasn't a heat wave, it was a lot hotter than I had trained in. So I, I think that was a good strategy. The, the painted stripe on the road provided some cushion. Even when it got tough, I, I just tried to lean in work the arms, and just kept pressing on. Uh, Now, after the race, I I did get off of my routine of hydration. I did not get in my full four liters of fluid on race day. I mean, it's hard to say how much I drank on the course, but I'm pretty sure I did not get enough. I don't think I was dehydrated, but I think my post-race recovery would have been better if I had been more intentional about staying hydrated. And then after the race, you and Bethany were, well, you all wanted to go for a run yourselves and then you all retired. And I decided to go to the mall and just walk around. I didn't want to sit down and and get stiff. I was already to the point where I was sore. (laughs) Bethany and I were laying on the couch together, chuckling that we were laying on the couch like we were dead and you were out at the mall. (laughs) I mean, that spectating really takes it out of a person. So I didn't buy anything at the mall. And they have a nice mall in Biloxi. I was surprised. That was a nice picture of a sandcastle you said. Yeah, amazing sandcastle. Um, but I just wanted to walk around and flush some of the lactic acid out of the legs and try to prevent some of the soreness. I, I was already to the point a couple hours after the race where it was difficult to sit down and stand back up. But I feel like walking really helped. So that was Sunday afternoon. Monday, I was really sore. Didn't do a whole lot. Uh, Tuesday... I did go for a walk along the beach on the sand, and I was feeling much better. But by Wednesday, I felt like I was 100%. But I did not have any intention on running. was going to give myself at least a week just to give my body a break and, and make sure that my body's ready to start running again. So you've been hopping in the pool. Yeah, we made it back to our hometown on Wednesday. We got home early enough I could go jump in the swimming pool and do some laps. I really enjoyed that. I've been in the pool several times this week post-race, and it's good. It's been a while since I've been in the pool, so my times are a little bit off, but I'm seeing that as a challenge. That's good. You'll be signing up for Ironman next year. You were talking about Sandcastle at the mall. 
And it reminds me, I didn't notice this during the race, but as we drove every day, we were in Biloxi up and down Beach Boulevard. There's some amazing tree sculptures along Beach Boulevard of dolphins and birds. And Biloxi's a neat little town to visit. Not a whole lot to do unless you're into casinos, but it's it's a nice place to spend a few days. Kind of has a smaller version of New Orleans feel, I think. Yes. So do you have a scripture to end the podcast? Yeah, I've got a scripture I'd like to share. It's Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. And it says, it's talking about the Lord. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. So it was a challenging experience. It was fun to run the race. Hopefully the way that I ran and my attitude are honoring to the Lord. But whether I met my goal or not is not what pleases the Lord. What pleases Him is fearing Him and putting Him first. Amen. So congratulations on a great race. You toughed it out. I know you thought it was going to feel a little bit easier than it did. And you toughed it out and had a great result. Your goal never really is... Boston qualifying because just with your talent level, that's usually something that you're blessed and can easily do. So if Boston 2022 happens, you've got a nice 20-ish minute cushion because you'll be 55. (laughs) That's hard to believe, isn't it? That's hard to believe. Anyway, congratulations and thanks for sharing that experience. If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have suggestions for topics for future podcasts we'd love it if you'd search for us on facebook ryr endurance team and we'll let you into our group we'd love to have you to be a part of it at ryr endurance team we specialize in customized coaching what is customized coaching it's more than a training plan it's a relationship it's a partnership so what are your goals what are you training for contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.